This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, things going on in your heart and your mind about life. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, uh, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just one button. Call now at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Everything else is hands-free, and you'll be safe. Hey, got a lot going on tonight. I'm going to be teaching out of 2 Kings chapter 17. More on that in a moment. And then, of course, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of our program. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that time with her as well. Uh, Tonight's Bible study, I told you I want to take just a couple of minutes on this. Uh, tonight's Bible study is actually one of the worst chapters to read in all of Scripture. 7 Kings 17 is absolutely horrible to read. Paula, as she's been reading this to me over and over, uh, I almost have to apologize to her. Paula, would you read this chapter again? And she goes, oh, no, and we'll have to go through that. I mean, it's really depressing because it's about the death of a nation. Uh, the last king of Israel, the northern tribes. Uh, the last king of Israel comes onto the scene. And, of course, uh, it won't be long before the Assyrians completely uh, wipe out the northern tribes. Uh, the northern tribes, of course, living in serious sin and compromise, uh, rejecting prophet after prophet after prophet. And not just prophets, but some of the really big prophets, Isaiah, um, uh, Jonah, uh, Amos, um, um, others uh, that 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 have been sent by God to tell them that this is the consequence that you're facing unless you return uh, to God, unless you repent of your sins. And of course, they don't do it. And one of the reasons this Bible study is important, I didn't say it wasn't important, I said it was horrible. Um, it's It's really bleak and it's dark. But one of the reasons it's important is because all we have to do is look around. And we're watching the death of a nation, the United States of America. I believe that with all of my heart. And the word of God is out there for everybody. Uh, 
people in this country need only to repent. Instead, we're getting more and more um, solidified in our sin. We're getting to that place where our hearts are so hard, so very, very hard, that there's no turning back. We laugh at God. We mock him. We do what we want, knowing that it's wrong. And then we figure some way to justify it. We live in sexual immorality in this country as never before. And by the way, that's not just for the unbelievers. Sadly, too many in the church are still living with sexual immorality. And it's as though God has simply removed his hand of blessing from our nation. Now, fortunately, God is patient. And it's not too late. And that ought to hope, encourage, and inspire every single one of us who are born-again believers, those of us who are really committed to serving the Lord, standing firm for him in a world that's gone crazy. It ought to encourage every one of us to be about our Father's business in the way we do that. It's to share our faith with the lost and the hurting and the hungry and the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, the angry. Share our faith with them. Stop doing what we want and instead get up every morning and report for duty. Jesus, what do you want? What about me and what about today? And if we'll do that, it's not too late. And wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if just before judgment comes, there'd be one more giant move of God's Spirit? I have to tell you, I'm not hopeful of that happening. I really do believe we are in the end times. And the consequences for our rebellion against God are irreversible. But you know what? Because he's patient, because he's slow to anger, because he's abounding in love, there's still an opportunity if we who belong to the Lord will get serious about doing what he's asked us to do, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And not only that, but to declare the message of hope. Because he's alive, all we have to do is turn to him. I think of Jonah, who, by the way, was one of the prophets who uh, was sent to Assyria, sent to his people Israel first. Jonah was sent in rebellion. He still was sent by God to Nineveh, the major city in Assyria. And everybody got saved. Literally, everybody got saved. So all we have to do is do our job. So that's tonight. It's the death of a nation. Again, it's ugly. But these are the studies, I think, that are really important because God really wants first to shake up our hearts before we go out and are used by God to shake up the hearts of others. So all of that is tonight, and again, Paula will be live in studio with us tomorrow. A um, couple of things, a follow-up on a question we had yesterday. Uh, this one was from J.R., who called in about Douglas Stewart. Um, J.R., I believe with all of my heart that, that uh, and I saw the message that, that you were talking about, uh, he is desperately wrong about that one thing, but this is a very credible scholar. So this isn't a nut. This isn't a guy who's a heretic. This is a very credible scholar, and he runs with, with some of the giants. Gordon Fee, uh, who is a, 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 a renowned 
commentator. I think one of the best commentaries on First Corinthians uh, that that has ever been written. Um, uh, he runs with people like that. He's a professor of uh, the Old Testament at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, uh, and he's got some bona fides. So he's not a nut. Uh, he's somebody you take very, very seriously. And listening to him, I think, will require a little bit of of uh, discernment, as in the case of the study uh, yesterday about uh, God speaking, not in a still small voice, but in a loud thunder. Um, that's just wrong. It is. It flies in the face of the context of the passage. But make no mistake, this man is a credible scholar and uh, is not somebody that we have to worry about uh, or question his motives at all. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, let me go to a question that was sent in also that I want to deal with. This is from Timothy, and he says uh, it's uh, for Pastor Ron. And then he quotes Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Um, uh, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, that's the, the uh, New American Standard Bible. And then here's his uh, comment. He says, I've heard you repeatedly say that God gives us the grace and faith to come to him because of his foreknowledge of who will accept him. Let me make, I'm going to go this slowly through this, Timothy, because I think it's important to, to address it. Um, God gives that kind of grace, that grace is available to everybody. Grace is poured out over the whole world. Uh, of course, God knows who is going to, to receive that grace. You know, we just got through Christmas, and if somebody gives you a gift, and you just put your hands up and say, nope, don't want it. Well, the gift is still for you. It still has your name on the gift card. But if you don't receive it, you walk away from it, then you reject that gift altogether. So, of course, God knows who's going to reject the gift of salvation. He knows that is going to be an overwhelmingly um, majority number of the people. Um, but it is uh, by his foreknowledge Romans chapter 8, verse 29, 1 Peter chapter 1, the first two verses, makes it really clear that the, the basis of God's selection is his foreknowledge. He's not guessing. He knows over and over in the Bible. He will say, I will have mercy on who I have mercy. And he judges who he will judge. Um, so who does he have mercy on? He chooses to have mercy on those of us like this pastor who rejected him because he knows there's a day that's going to come. Now, I'll continue with, with Timothy's question, but that's an important foundation for my answer, Timothy. Then he says this, then this means God's action is predicated on our action. Therefore, it is dependent on what we do, known as work, as to what action God will take. This position seems to be untenable according to God, as he clearly states that saving grace and faith is not a result of works. In my search through the scriptures, the one thing um, about salvation that isn't clearly delineated is how God makes the determination just who he gifts with salvation, um, with saving, I'm sorry, grace and faith. Now, a couple of things, Timothy. The scriptures are really clear. First of all, the election. And, and in the back of your 
letter and kind of in the, the, the lurking behind the scenes is Calvinism. And I don't know who's trying to make you a Calvinist or if you're already a Calvinist. But, but God doesn't cause anything. You're right. Grace is unmerited favor. Even the faith, Ephesians 2, 9 says, even the faith to believe is a gift from God. So there's nothing about works there at all. Nothing whatsoever about work. So the idea is, uh, it's just a matter. He, a gift is extended, and we receive it, or we don't. And uh, so there's nothing about what God waiting for us to do. God knows what he's going to do, because he knows the end from the beginning. But remember, he doesn't cause what's going to happen. I got saved in February of 1991. Paula prayed for me for 13 years. God gave her the heart to stay in that marriage. And yet there wasn't anything at all that I did for it. God just waited until I said yes. And then that gift was given to me all over again. And this time I received it. So there's nothing about works there at all. And I know Calvinists say, no, if we have to believe, then that's a work. That's silly. That's not a, that's an argument that makes no sense at all. So uh, we need to really understand that. Um, he, he also says that those that he's encountered who take the position that I take personally, he says, take pride in thinking that it was them personally who set the wheels in motion that resulted in their salvation. Um, hence the boasting whether it is overly stated or subtly implied, it's still 100% present, which is a verification of what is revealed to us here. Uh, it, it really isn't at all boasting. There, there's no boasting. Uh, anybody who meets Jesus Christ, who truly meets him, has no boasting. Now, let me turn the, the, the tables on you just a little bit. Um, we don't have to, if we look at boasting, you know, the, the, the Calvinist position, Timothy, is that God chooses. I'm chosen by God. And if you're looking for pride, boy, listen to Calvinist preachers. I'm one of God's chosen. My salvation is secure, all those things, because God chose me. And if you look at the life of somebody who believes that, well, well, God chose me, the idea is that we start thinking, well, God chose me because I'm special instead of I'm special because God chose me. So there's no boasting at all. I, I have got nothing to boast about. The Apostle Paul had nothing whatsoever to boast about. And so um, we, we simply need to look at it, read the scriptures for what they say, not through the lens of a Calvinist perspective. There's no way you can come up to uh, a, a God chooses us. We have no choice in the matter um, a viewpoint simply by reading the word. One other comment, and then I'll go to a phone call. we got somebody waiting on the line. It's very important to understand that election or God's choice of us is never, ever presented to us in the Bible in any other way than dealing with salvation. It's never presented to us in a way that, that uh, we choose heaven or we choose hell because God has chosen, chosen us for heaven or he's chosen us for hell. It's never presented that way. So the idea of, of, uh, of God choosing us or predestination is only and always spoken of in terms of salvation. Why would that be? It goes back to the beginning, Timothy. Um, it's very simply that God knows what we're going to do. And he is endlessly 
infinitely patient with people like me. And if uh, you've ever thought you've heard me say anything that would suggest that I'm boasting in that, I'm the most grateful man on the face of the earth. But there's no boasting. I love what I do. And I love that God has given me the gift to teach the Bible. But there's no boasting because I know I have absolutely nothing to say apart from what God has done in me and now is doing through me to touch the glory of God is one of the biggest problems that we can ever hand, uh, ever ever deal with. So um, I, I appreciate your tone. You said you're seeking learning rather than fighting. Um, so I, I, I laid it out as clearly as I possibly could. And I think your stumbling point is is God causing salvation that's not true we get saved Jesus himself said uh, no one can come to the father except the fa- except that the father draws him now how does he do that he does that Jesus explained the ministry of the Holy Spirit he comes alongside us he convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment there's a theological term prevenient grace And it simply means that God comes alongside of us, God the Holy Spirit. And we begin to notice that some of the things we've been doing are wrong. We know that there's something missing in our lives. And then he points the way to Jesus. And then the gift is offered and we receive it. But us receiving it is not a work at all. Not even close to any kind of work. It is a gift that we've simply received. And it is the greatest gift any of us will ever get. So, Timothy, I hope that helps. Thank you very much for the question. Let's go to Ruben, our friend from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for being patient. You're on the air. Uh, it's okay. Um, uh, if you need to speak to somebody and you need to tell them, I'd rather you do that to them while I'm on the line because, you know, you, you always have good word and you always give good advice. Um, today's... Uh, not a good day for me. I had a I had a stroke yesterday, Pastor. Oh, Ruben, I'm so sorry. I had a stroke, and I uh, my left side is kind of drooping. My my speech has gotten better, but I don't, my whole left side is just weak. I'm in the hospital right now, and I don't, they don't let me go tomorrow. And then what they're gonna do? They, take, they took a scan of my brain. Uh, they're thinking that it may be a, a clot in my brain because of the way I was speaking and the way I went into the ER yesterday. I was just like I wasn't making any kind of sense. Mm. And uh, so short, short of it is uh, please, uh, everyone's listening. I'd appreciate your prayers. And... Uh, you know, hey, God, God is with me. And, yes. Uh, although I may be scared, and that's my flesh, but you know, I know that God is with me, and I know that He will never leave me, or forsake me, and hold on to Him. Not because I have to, it's because I want to. Yeah. And because I know, I know that that He's whatever happens happens for his glory. So Ruben, let me, let me pray for you now, okay? Okay. Father, we thank you for getting Reuben to the hospital safely. We thank you, Lord, that even in the middle of the stroke that he was experiencing, 
your guiding, leading, loving hand was upon him. He's our friend now. He's our brother, Lord. And we ask by the power of your spirit that you would touch, that you would heal, give him um, the ability to think clearly. Thank you that he was mindful to call so that now thousands and thousands of people are going to be praying for him. Lord, he's become part of the family of this program. And and uh, and now there are a lot of people praying. We ask you to hear their prayers and answer. And Father, I ask you to protect him from the lies of the enemy um, in his fear. And this is an appropriate thing to be, a fear, to be afraid of. In his fear, may he look only to you. And give him a peace, Lord, a peace that passes understanding. And strengthen his hand and strengthen his heart. And we pray, O Lord, that you will deliver him from this, just as you've delivered him from so many things. From things that were meant by the enemy to destroy. Lord, you've delivered him through them all. And we ask you to do it now. There's a lot of work for him to do left, Lord. You've kept him around for a reason. So keep him around a bit longer. Have mercy on us, O oh God. Spare us from sorrow upon sorrow for your glory. Amen. Ruben, what hospital are you in? Guadalupe Regional Medical Center. Okay. Um, I'm going to send somebody out there, okay? Okay. Okay, Ruben. God bless you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Paul, I know you're listening. Would you send a text to our hospital ministry people and ask them if they can get somebody out there to uh, Guadalupe Regional Hospital uh, to see Ruben um, and uh, tell them to keep me posted. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to another question. we got about four minutes left in this side of the program. Uh, Willie wants to know, when Paul says to pray without ceasing, does he mean it literally? Uh, yeah, he does. Now, it doesn't mean prayer in the way that we've come to understand prayer. Uh, Willie, there's times when we are on our knees and in a dark room and we're crying out to God. That's the, Obviously, we can't live our lives that way. But But remember, prayer is having a conversation with the Lord. It's that simple. And because he's always with you, he'll never leave you. It would be rude of us not to talk to him. So what he means is to pray, have a constant flow of communication, conversation going with the Lord all day, every day. Now, when I say all the time, will he just be with Jesus? That's what I mean. You're talking to him. You're aware of his presence. Uh, you want to hear from him. You want him to hear from you. And that's what you do. Think about the Apostle Paul's life, what it was like. They didn't have modern travel uh, available to them, you know, they would walk or they would go on horseback um, from one place to another. So necessarily, there were long periods of of pretty boring life uh, in serving the Lord. Uh, and Paul found a way. If you read his epistles, especially uh, the end of his books, where he's saying goodbye to people or recognizing people that God is using, um, he he would make a decision to use that time to talk to the Lord and pray for the people. And that's what he means. He, he, was, he was hardly ever unaware of the presence of the Lord, and he wanted to, be speak to, uh, wanted to be speaking to him. So that's what he means by that. 
And if we understand prayer is only in those times when we'll get on our knees or get in a closet or something, then obviously we're not going to do that. But the idea is when you leave the house every morning, then what you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to hang out with Jesus. You're going to talk to the Lord. And if you do that, if you ask him things or you need information from him and you wait to listen, a conversation, a good conversationalist needs to be a good listener. Um, so it just means carry on this constant conversation with the Lord and in the process of of talking with him, uh, he's going to hear your prayers. And uh, obviously we need to be repentant toward uh, about our sin. We need to, to always make sure we're in the will of God. We're not doing things on our terms. Uh, we're not trying to reinvent him or make him over in our image. But instead, we realize that we were made in his image and um, he gets to make the rules when all that's happening, then not only will you want to talk with the Lord all day, but he will give you answers to your prayers. So that's exactly what he means, Willie. He just means to pray continually. Um, you know, I think too many of us will get in the car, for instance. Some of you have quite a long commute to work. Uh, you'll get in the car, turn on the radio or do something else. And Jesus says, hey, how about you just talk to me? I mean, it'd be wonderful opportunities to talk to him when you're at work in the morning. Um, it's real simple. Talk to Jesus. He'll make work better. He'll make the work environment better. He'll help you to perform better. So that's what you do, Willie. Just talk to him all day. He can't get enough of listening to you, and I hope you can't get enough of listening to him. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Hey, I must be a good prayer. Uh, Reuben just texted back and said that uh, uh, they just came in and they're going to release him today. So we won't be able to send somebody over there. But thank you guys for uh, you're always ready to go. And I, I appreciate it more than you know. And by the way, uh, hospital visitation ministries are so important. We've got the best people in the world leading ours. And, uh, you know, in the hospital, everybody's serious about what's going to happen to them. So it's a really, really wonderful way to serve the Lord. You might think about that and go to church. Well, what can I do? Um, go to your pastor and say, uh, is there a hospital visitation ministry I can join? And if there isn't, say, well, can I start one? Uh, wonderful opportunity. You know, when you want to be used by the Lord, you you just jump in and take any opportunity you can. Here's a question from Yoli. Um, she says, reading the Bible is very hard for me. There are times when I feel physically sick. Can you explain this? Um, Yoli, actually, I can. Um, I experienced this uh, from the very beginning of my walk with the Lord. I, I remember getting saved, a good friend of mine bought me a brand new, genuine leather King James Bible, and I loved it. It smelled so good. Now, I got saved. I'd never opened a Bible before. 
and I got saved, and I knew Christians read their Bibles, so I, I knew I needed to read my Bible. And I got nauseous just to pick it up and to, to, just to think I was going to open it made me physically sick. And I, I, I just couldn't, couldn't get over why this would be happening. It doesn't make any sense. I know I should read my Bible, but I just couldn't do it. I realize now that was a spiritual attack. It's probably the same for you. The devil certainly doesn't want you reading your Bible, uh, being equipped for to, to stand against his attacks. But for me, um, you know, I, I don't know that the, that the devil knew I was called to be a pastor or not, I, I, even before I knew. But here's what I know for sure. I know that when I opened that Bible or tried to open it, it was like there was a force in the room keeping me from it to the point of, as I said earlier, nausea. So this is simply spiritual warfare. And the way I overcame it, Yoli, is simply to say, I don't care if I get sick. I don't care if I pass out. It doesn't matter. I'm going to read the Bible. And as soon as I actually opened it and really dug in to read it, starting, of course, in Genesis, I also then started reading in in the Gospel of John. Um, All of that went away. It was just an attack. The enemy trying to keep me from opening the Bible and... um, you know, what you got to do is you got to just persevere through it. And that's what I did. And Yoli, I can tell you that reading the Bible has changed me, um, my life, added to my life more than you can possibly imagine um, forever. Okay? The flesh sometimes fights. Yeah. You know, you've got to be committed and dedicate yourself to reading the Bible. And sometimes your flesh doesn't want to do that. But typically when you're not feeling well, it's the enemy of our souls. Let's go to Bernie, Texas, and talk with Ron on line one. Ron, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I haven't talked to you for about a year. I think it's when my just when my wife died a year ago. Mm. It's been kind of a rough year. I lost her to Alzheimer's, and her two remaining brothers died of Alzheimer's. I had a brother die of cancer. I'm afraid he went to hell. So, oh, I'm sorry. I have a question, if you don't mind. Okay. And after, before you answer it, could I make a positive statement about your ministry? Sure. Okay. The question's going to be a little tough. You need to know, and I'm sure you do, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Okay. And, uh, but the question is, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, um, I think it says that when Jesus was resurrected at dawn, that he will return 2,000 years later in the spring. Is that what those, um, and, and then let me, I'll make the positive statement, is that all right? Okay. Okay. I, I've written it down, so I believe that God sent me to you to give me the key to the understanding of the end times. And now he won't let anyone else understand until you do. <laughs> God cannot come to you directly because of First Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. And you don't have to worry about the rejections. That had to be God's plan. Acceptance would have stopped my journey. So I believe God is very pleased with your ministry. Thank you. I Thank you, Ron. Now, now Ron, I, obviously I know where this question is going. And uh, the reason you haven't called in years is because we stopped taking your phone calls. You're your, your purpose seems to be to change my eschatology 
And that's just not going to happen. I can't say this, and Ron, we're going to let you go now. But uh, the one thing um, uh, that, that I want you to know, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, doesn't say anything at all about 2,000 years. Um, Peter is speaking figuratively, um, talking to people who say the Lord is slow uh, in this coming. Where is this coming that you spoke of? And to take it anywhere other than that is to take it so far out of context that it simply doesn't have... Uh, any value for us. So Second Peter chapter 3, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, God is patient. He isn't in a hurry. And that's all that that says. I'm sorry for the loss of your wife. I'm sorry for the loss of your other family member. But Ron, this is a discussion that we're simply not going to allow here. And it's impossible that God would say, uh, he's not going to let you tell anybody else or convince anybody else until you've convinced me. Um, I'll stand before the Lord just as you will for what we believe and what we teach. And uh, my understanding of eschatology, I'm quite satisfied with. And um, if you want to keep calling about that, then just please don't. And we'll, we won't let you call any longer. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I gotta say, I admire Ron's patience um, uh, because he's he's been doing this for a long time, uh, sending me information in the mail, and I'm just not interested. Ron, thank you very very much. Darren says, uh, I can't help but feeling condemned most of the time. I know what Romans eight one says, but I can't seem to make it work in my own experience. Darren. Um, the question I would ask you if I was sitting down talking with you is, do you um, believe what Romans 8, 1 says? And clearly you don't. It's it's one thing to know what it says, but it's another thing to appropriate it personally. And this is just one of those areas of faith. You've got to decide that despite how you feel, remember, feelings are not at all. They're not at all useful. They're real. And we have to deal with them. We've got to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. But we have to make a decision at some point whether or not we're going to function in our lives according to how we feel or based on what we know the Word of God says. And this is just a matter of faith. Do you believe what the Bible says? Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that means you, Darren. It means me. And while the enemy will try to heap guilt on us and try to heap uh, condemnation on us, um, what we need to remember always is that that is not from the Lord. It is from the enemy. And why would we want anything that comes from an enemy who wants to destroy us? So um, faith is going to be the key. That's what's going to make it work. And again, I want to say it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with how you feel and when you're feeling condemned or those thoughts of being condemned come into your heart and into your mind again, then all you need to do is say, wait a minute, I know where that, that thought is coming from. It's coming from the enemy. And here's what I used to say, Lord, today I choose to believe you. And, and you know, eventually you, you stop feeling condemned uh, because you're fighting it effectively. Remember, put on the full armor of God. And part of that is simply saying, Lord, I am so confident in the promises that you have made that I don't need to worry about nor focus on those things that are lies coming from a source who only wants to destroy my life.
So, Darren, that's it's just faith. Be like the demoniac boy's father. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And if you'll do that, I promise you the Holy Spirit of God will come alongside you and he will help you with, um, with your unbelief. Candace says, Pastor, what is meant by walking in the flesh as Galatians 5 talks about? Candace, walking in the flesh is simply giving in to your carnal desires. The things that your flesh wants to do that you know are opposing what God wants for you and what's what God wants to do in you. Um, for instance, if I am angry with somebody, then I can sin in my anger or I can practice what the fruit of the Spirit is also in Galatians chapter 8 and exercise gentleness and patience and kindness. That's to walk in the Spirit. That's important, Candace, because... Paul says, if we walk in the flesh, we'll reap from the flesh. If we walk in the spirit, we'll reap from the from the spirit. And the difference in those two things is enormous. So walking in the flesh is walking according to what you desire, even when what you desire opposes what God wants for you. I'll just give you a, a, one more example, Candace, sexual immorality. Um we can choose to look at pornography. We can choose to have sex with somebody not we're not married with. We can choose uh, to, to be involved in a homosexual relationship. We can choose all of those things, but that's the flesh that is bent on destroying us. If we're going to walk in the Spirit, then we're going to pursue holiness. If we're going to walk in the Spirit, we're going to pursue righteousness. And, and of course, when you're walking in the Spirit, I say it, just be with Jesus that's exactly what I mean. Just walk with Jesus and you never get away uh, from the, the things in the spirit by walking in the flesh. And then finally, Candace, the one thing that you have to do is say no to your flesh. The, you know, temptation's not going to stop. Your flesh has an insatiable appetite. So does mine. And uh, your flesh is always going to be there. The enemy's always going to be there. And what you've got to do is say, okay, when I know something is in opposition to what God's will for my life is, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I have a friend. His name is Damien Kyle. He's a pastor. He's a casual friend because we don't get to see each other very often. But he's a Calvary Chapel pastor in, in Modesto, California. He's a wonderful, wonderful Bible teacher. And he's funny, and he's funny without trying to be. And and he was in a doing a message at a pastor's conference one year, and he and he said, you know, the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is I stumble over to the mirror in my bathroom, and get really close and yell no, and uh, that's always really stuck with me, Candace. Uh, you got to say no to you before we can say yes to God, and that's what walking in the spirit is saying yes to God. Walking in the flesh is saying yes to you. Hope that makes sense for you, Candace. Thank you very, very much. Here's an anonymous question. The Bible says God knows our time of death. Does that mean God causes us to die at that time? No, anonymous, it doesn't. It, it just means that God knows. Um, obviously, I had a question at the beginning of the program today. Um, God knows everything, and so he knows the day we're going to die. Uh, we just had a call from our friend Reuben, and Reuben um, had a stroke. God knew that Reuben was going to die yesterday. Um, uh, when the time comes for Reuben or for any of us to die, God knows that as well. But that's not God causing. It's not like God says, well, let me get the, look at a calendar, see if I have this day open, because this day Pastor Ron is going to die. Um, that, that's, that's not even close to what happens. God simply knows 
when we're going to die. And when we die, he won't be surprised. And uh, heaven will be open. We'll be with, uh, with the goal of our salvation, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So no, God doesn't cause anything. God simply knows. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm going to be studying starting next week uh, the life of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, um, a great king, by the way, a great, great, great king. And um, my guess would be Israel's best apart from David. David is the gold standard for kings. But you remember, uh, he got sick at the end of his life. And and uh, Isaiah was sent uh, to tell him that this 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 is going to end in death, and uh, then he starts kind of complaining, not not grumbling against God, but but I don't have an heir. Who's going to take over the throne? So some of it was selfish, some of it was for the benefit of the people. Um, but um, um, God granted him an extra fifteen years. Now the problem with the fifteen years is the worst king in Israel's history was born. But God gave him an extra 15 years. Did God not know that before he sent Isaiah to him? Of course God knew what he was going to do. But the idea here is really important. It's not God causing anything. It's just God knowing. Think of a, a journalist or an investigative reporter who is reporting on something that already happened. As we know, I think everybody's aware there was an NFL player a young man, 24 years of age, who had a cardiac arrest, a heart attack on the field due to impact. Um, and, um, um, you know, he his heart stopped a couple of times. They revived him and defibrillators were used. Uh, and by the way, please pray for him and his family. This has been an impossibly difficult time. Uh, he still can't breathe on his own yet, so they've got him intubated. Uh, but... Um, God knew he wasn't going to die in that football field. Um, he didn't cause the collision. God simply knew it was going to happen. So I hope that makes sense, Anonymous. Thanks very, very much for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. I'm told we got about 10 minutes left, so if you want to call, we've got some time. Here's a question from Carl. He says, I go to church using online streaming. Sometimes I feel like I should go in person, but this is so much more convenient. May I have your thoughts, please? Carl, You I, okay, you asked for my thoughts, I'm going to give them. Don't be lazy. Remember, worship is a sacrifice of praise. We're to give God, offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That means we don't get to do what's convenient. We don't get to do things our way. Again, in our study in First and Second Kings, um, you know, the kings, especially the northern kings, were most all of them were horrible, and um, and they 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 created convenient ways to to worship. Oh, I don't want to go all the way to Jerusalem, and the kings would get a little a little possessive. You know, if they go to Jerusalem, they might not come back. They wanted their people to come back, uh, so they set up high places. And high places were places that fell short of being where God wants you to be. So I think the Holy Spirit, Carl, is already speaking to your heart about this issue. And you need to listen. Uh, convenience. We know our heart is not right with God whenever we're looking for our worship of God to be convenient or to be easier or easier. 
And so, yeah, you should go in person. Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. I don't know how much more clear that could be, Hebrews 10.25. So you need to be in church. You need to repent. And then let the Lord know, you know, I got lazy during COVID, and boy, this works out so good. I used to call it church in pajamas. And you know, the one thing, Carl, that is is encouraging to me as a pastor is I'm getting more and more questions just like this because the Holy Spirit is convicting more and more people who have fallen into this spiritual laziness trap. So God loves you. Don't feel condemned. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry for trying to take the easy way out. And when you get back into a church, Carl, wherever it is that you're you're going, say, Lord, I want to offer the gifts you've given me. I want to serve this church. I don't want to just go to church. I want to serve the church. I, I could see some eyes raised, uh, Carl, in my message. I don't know what is this Sunday or the Sunday before. They all kind of run together in my mind. Um, but I told our church here at Calvary Chapel, I said, everybody in this service, and, and, I, and we have three services, uh, you ought to be here at least two and probably ought to be here three services every Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's not your day. It's the Lord's Day. And I could see some of the, come to multiple services. Why would I do that? Well, you come once to get fed. You, you hear the word being taught. But then you come another service to be used by the Lord to be a blessing to others, serving, kids' church, audiovisual ministry, worship ministry, usher ministry, a prayer ministry during church. There's so many things. We have translation ministries. Um, and everybody, everybody ought to understand that Sunday is the Lord's day. And you're going to give it to Him. And, you know, you can serve in different places, uh, but, but I tell the people you need to be here. That This is the Lord's day. This is how you use your gifts. This isn't just about you coming and being fed or you coming and being blessed, but rather this is about you being used by the Lord to be a blessing to other people. So, Carl, you and everybody else, serve your local church, period. Thank you, Carl. Nick asked a question. It's very simple. Please explain 2 Corinthians 5.21. Um, Nick, he's, it says, he who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And what that means is simply this. Jesus took our place on the cross so that he could be condemned and we could be redeemed. And in order to be redeemed, in order to walk with God, in order to have a ticket to heaven, we have to be perfect. And only Jesus gives, that per, gives us that perfection. So he took our sin. This is the best business deal. And this really is in the context of sort of a business transaction. Uh, on the cross, Jesus said, come to me. Uh, I'll take your filth. I'll take your sin. Now, that's easy to say, but think about that for a moment. The only perfect person who's ever lived, the one with no sin at all, God Almighty himself, he became my most vile sin. And he did it because he had to take my place. He atoned for my sins. And by his stripes, I'm healed of this disease of sin. Come, let us reason together, Isaiah says. Though sin, It's actually Jesus through Isaiah. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. And the business transaction is simple. Jesus simply says, Look, you give me your filth, and I'll give you my perfection. 
Now that's a pretty good deal, Nick. And that's all 2 Corinthians 5.21 means. Jesus actually became sin. It's not like he just died and, and the Father said, okay, I'll take that sacrifice. No, he had to become sin. The worst things we've ever done, Jesus took upon himself. And really process it. Had to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time ever in eternity where the Father forsook the Son because the fellowship was broken as he became your sin, Nick, and mine. So I hope that makes sense to you. It's one of the most glorious passages in our New Testament. Uh, here's the last question of the day. Kevin says, will you give some examples of modern-day idolatry? Kevin, there are so many. Uh, the man who, uh, or the woman these days, who works multiple jobs because they want to get ahead. Um I want money. I want success. I want this material thing or that material thing. Um, the idolatry. I'll give you one that always makes people upset when I say it. Babies can be idols. You know, we ask God for a baby. He grants our request. We get pregnant. We have a child. And then suddenly we stop serving the Lord. We stop looking for him because our life is consumed by this little thing with a, 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 an appetite <laughs> And it won't let me sleep, and we just, oh, i got to rest. Now, I'm not being hard on you moms, but you got to remember that you asked God for that baby. He answered your prayer, and the result of that is you can't make the baby more important than your relationship with God. Uh, I know men that make their wives an idol and women that make their husbands an idol. Um, sports can be an idol. Can't miss the football game. I know people who actually don't come to church if the Cowboys are playing. Or they leave early. They're thinking about the Cowboys rather than Jesus when they come to church. So there's a lot of things uh, that we do that are, are, are modern-day idols. Our telephones, Kevin, are becoming idols. You see how much time people spend on their phone? I don't know who you are, Kevin, but... But just sort of take a little litmus test. How much time do you spend in the Bible or in prayer with the Lord as opposed to the time you spend on your phone, on social media, or texting or whatever else it is you do on the phone? So there's all kinds of modern-day idols. Anything that you put before the Lord, anything that has priority in your life over Jesus is an idol. And remember, God won't share his glory with anyone. So that's a, an issue that we all have to deal with. We all have to deal with it. So, Kevin, I hope that makes some sense. I could probably, given some time, think about others, but you can hear the music. We are done for the day. Remember, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the Date Day edition of the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back with Paula tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.